We'll be over in 1 John today. We'll be in chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. It's been some time since we were in 1 John, between the Christmas holidays and, uh, of course, Brother Silos had opportunities as well, and we had some guests. We want to get back into this book and try to make our way through the entirety of 1 John. I'll call your attention to chapter 1 and verse 5 as a bit of a very brief review, but you'll notice in that text that as the Apostle John was introducing what he was going to write by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he established something about the character and the nature of God in verse 5. Chapter 1, this is verse 5, he said, God is light. And again, this is God's technique, of course, of taking us from what we do know and is familiar to us to what we don't know. He takes, helps us to, to think about what we know, what we understand. He says, okay, that, that's like this and tells us about God. God is light. But that's not where he stopped. If you remember when we were in this text many months ago, because he said God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's what makes God so different from us. Those of us who have met Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we have more light than before we were saved. God says that he gives light to everyone that comes into the, everyone that's born, John chapter 1. But the difference with, with God is that in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness. He's pure light. One day... We will see him. We read that in Revelation 22 this morning. We sang about that face to face with Christ my Savior. We will see our Lord. And in that day, there will be no darkness in us. You see, right now, before we were saved, we were all darkness. One day in heaven, there will be no more darkness in us or around us. It'll be all light. We'll be with God. Right now, we all recognize that we live in a culture, as has everybody who ever lived except Adam and Eve, in a culture of, of some light and some darkness. And many of us believe that in our American culture, the darkness seems to be increasingly, rapidly, even exponentially growing and pushing out the light. And I think that's, that's true. I want to establish that in our thinking. As he goes through this book, he talks about light and darkness, and there was quite a bit about that even in chapter 2. I'll call your attention then to verse 15 of chapter 2. This is where we spent some time in these three verses, because in these verses, there is the contrast between living for the light, living for God, living for eternity, and, on, by contrast, living for now living for self, living in the darkness. And, and there, there is this attempt to squelch the darkness, to put a, put a, a, a cover on the darkness, to not, to not let our light shine so brightly. Oh, when you're little, you may have learned a song like I did, this little light of mine, you know, you used to hold your finger up as a little boy, 
Can you imagine me doing that? And this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know, and don't let Satan it out. Do you ever sing that? Or uh, don't put something on it, you know, those little things. I still remember that growing up. It's just a, a little boy. But that's a very real struggle, a very real problem, a very prevalent issue to us. Uh, sometimes as God's children, we, we really like to let our light shine when we're with each other, and that's good. We like to sing these songs when we're with each other. That's, that's good. Um, but the last song we sang, you know, did, did, did you notice? Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of rough. But then it went on and even talked about what labor that would be. Let us labor from the, for the master from the dawn Till setting sun, let us talk. Let us talk of all his wondrous works of grace or something it said. That's the idea, making much of Jesus, not just among us, but, but out there. But the, the, the problem is, out there, if we could put it that way, uh, in, when, when we're not with just believers and just the church family, it's not all light. There's darkness And, of course, verses 15, 16, and 17 really deals with that. What I'd like to look at today is verses 18, and if we can, we'll make it all the way through the end of this chapter. I'm going to read the text, but I want you to really note, please, the word antichrist. It does not appear much. It doesn't appear much in the Word of God. It's twice in this passage that we'll read. It appears later on in 1 John. It appears in 2 John. Um, but it doesn't appear much in the Scripture, but there is a, 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 a... We'll say 1 John chapter 4 talks about the spirit of Antichrist. That's what's being talked about here. And it's right on the heels of this idea of don't love the world, the things that are in the world, but, but Satan wants us to. And the spirit of Antichrist is, anti means against, we understand that, against Christ. And so there is this pressure on us as believers to, to, to live for now, not eternity. To live for self, not for him. To kind of just not let the light really prevail in our thinking. So let me read to you verse 18 and to the end of the chapter. Little children, it is the last time. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. How much closer now are we to the end of all things? Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, 
ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and in his truth, and he is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. I don't know if this would have stood out, but I hope it did. But as you read through that passage, you hear, okay, this is, I'll say, the light, but this is the darkness. This is the truth, but this is the error. This is what's right, but this is wrong. And there's this idea of Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist that is drawing us away from God and drawing us away from the truth. Us, we as God's children. Uh, to really have influence upon us. Uh, the term Antichrist, you know, there's, there's one that also could be called the man of sin in the book of Revelation, and that's not our, our text at all, but refers to that. But also, uh, the, there is this spirit of Antichrist. You could turn if you'd like, but it's just over a page or so. But uh, chapter 4 and verse 3, let me read to you what the scripture says here. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. It's a shocking thing, isn't it, in verse 18, when the Bible says there are many Antichrists even now? Isn't it interesting that verse 18 twice says it is the last time? That's what God says. And in our minds, it's like, no, wait, that's 2,000 years ago. How, how can he say it's the last time if it's been 2,000 years? Yeah, but, but it's God talking. In the, in, in the grand plan of, of, of God's working and God's sovereign will to, to demonstrate himself, in the ages of human history, God says the clock is getting close to the end. It's the last time. And God tells us that Satan knows that too. And I don't mean 21st century. I mean even way back then. And so God in this text gives us these warnings. He warns us as God's children to be on guard against the spirit of Antichrist. What what? What do you think Antichrist is trying to do to you as a believer? What do you think the spirit of Antichrist, that, that attitude, that spirit, that influence of the against Christ ones are seeking to do in you? Listen, listen to this. Second John, verse 7, says, Many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. A deceiver. We read a text here, I think it was in verse, where is it? Verse 26, we'll come back to that in a moment, that talks about those that want to seduce you. This idea of, of being seduced, of being deceived. That's this antichrist idea. Satan is trying to work in believers to mess up the way we think. 
to, to mess up our thinking. So instead of things being crystal clear light, he, he, he adds darkness in there. So everything seems kind of gray and things are not crystal clear. They're, they're, they're just kind of fuzzy. Someone, more than one someone today, uh, saw fit to mention the new clock in the back of the auditorium. I don't know if you saw it. If you didn't, I don't know how you could miss it. The old clock was fine. I had a complaint about that. It was not mine. It wasn't really a complaint. But, but that had dots. This doesn't have those dots. And there were only two dots that were full vigor, whatever. It was just wearing out. It was just getting tired, you know, and we gave it an honorable discharge. In fact, if you would like it, it worked fine in a room that's not this big, and we, we have it back here. In fact, help yourself. It's on the back shelf back here. I don't know if we're going to keep that one. It's just obnoxious. It's got the seconds on it, too, but, you know, you get it, you put it up, and so what does that have to do with anything? Someone asked me if there was a countdown timer Someone else said, are we going to have a two-minute warning? <laughs> I love it. It's great. Just wondering. You're very creative in your, in your teasing. That is it's great. It's great. <clears throat> Satan wants to mess up our thinking as, as the time passes. He wants to mess up the way we think so the things are not crystal clear. I brought up the clock because the idea is there were those who said, eyesight's going bad, huh? Can't see it back there. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to give you three ways in this text where, where, where I really think we can try to identify something that Antichrist, the spirit of Christ, the, the aggressive against Christ's attitude really works on believers. Notice, first of all, in verse 19, we're going to look primarily at three verses in this text. What do you think this is talking about? When there are some people that are described like this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have, no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Perhaps what stands out in the text is over and over and over again. In this one verse, the scripture says the word they. Now, I emphasize us, because when it says they, it says us. But there's this huge dichotomy, this distinction, this separation between some people that John describes as they. And then he describes some other people and includes himself, and he calls them us. What's he talking about? There are some people that have left us. They're, they're, they're not part of us. They went out. They were not of us. They went out. They were not all of us. I will contend to you that it's certainly one major thing this is talking about is the church. It's talking about the local church. This is a discernible group of people that some people used to associate with us. They were in us. They were with us. They were part of us. But now they're not of us. It's very evident that they're not of us. They, they somehow have left us. They went out from us. And can I just encourage you that one of the things Satan is going to work hard to do is to distract you from your church, to de-emphasize 
church. To get us to somehow not, not look at church the way God looks at church. Listen, listen. God gave us church to help us, not to hurt us. You think that? You know, church, church, church for God's children can be a delight, much better than work, much better than being in the hospital. Might be the best hospital in town. We'd much rather be here. We'd much rather be here singing to God, greeting one another, understanding no one here, I don't think, anyone here is going to tell some off-color, dirty joke. No one's going to, there could be misunderstandings and people fail, but, but no one here is going to, I, I hope, ever punch someone or scratch someone or kick someone here. <laughs> and, and if they did, we wouldn't let that stand, right? No one here is going to, I hope, knowingly steal from each other. This is the people of God. We, we don't conduct ourselves here the way we see people conduct themselves in other areas of life. Church. Church. The spirit of Antichrist will use all kinds of tricks to get us away from church. Hey, here's one of his favorites. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. And you know what happens. Sometimes people will come to Christ or maybe not even come to Christ, but they'll, they'll visit a Bible-preaching church, and then they'll get disappointed with the way some people act. Ah, they're just hypocrites. I thought it was going to be different. I didn't think it was going to be like whatever. And they get out of church. Did you stop going to church because they're hypocrites? There's something wrong with our thinking then. None of us are all that we'd like to be. Can you say amen to that? None of us, hopefully none of us are what we were. And absolutely, if you're saved, none of us are what we one day will be. But we're a mixed bag now. We struggle with this light and darkness. We struggle with this spiritual growth. We struggle with, struggle with this sanctification. We struggle with, with being as faithful as even we would like to be. Hypocrites or many other things. Work can be a huge temptation. I mean, the boss comes and you have to work and, and we'll pay you this much and all of that sort of thing. Or sometimes sickness, it's amazing. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder, would we be more motivated to go to work or to go on vacation with a certain sickness than would, would be to come to church? You just need to think about that in priorities and and be very careful with that. Uh, how about how about um, what else? What comes to your mind? There's all kinds of things that can take us away from church. Did you ever did you ever ha notice that people, maybe not in your family now, but but did you ever notice how many people want us to do things on? On Sunday, hey, can you go golf with me? Or hey, can you go camping with me? Or hey, can you go fishing with me? Or hey, can you go whatever it might be? Or, or hey, can I come and visit? And we noticed early on uh, in, our, in our marriage, it's amazing how much people will want to visit our home, maybe on a Sunday. And it, and it takes us away from church. We, 
we fixed that really early on by we just said, hey, we're going to go to church. You're glad that you're, you're welcome to come. We're going to go to church. If you want to go with us, great. If you want to stay home, no problem. We're going to be in church. You know, you need to be careful. Let, let, let me give you a couple of things about church, not in our text, but certainly we need to just keep on remembering and reinforcing in our lives. How about this one? Matthew 16, 18, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. It's amazing. We have this amazing text of Scripture where Jesus, when he was going to be you know, betrayed and all, John chapter 14, the whole context of I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. I, I, I'm going to go and, and I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. He's, he's building something in heaven, but he's building something on this earth too. I will build my church. That's why Satan's against it. How about this one? Acts 20 and verse 28 talks about the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Let that saturate your mind and thinking. He's not talking about the building. He's talking about the people of God. Jesus bought us with his own blood. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church. And we would be very strongly uh, an advocate of that idea that, that Christ is the head of Hanover Baptist Church. We want him to be the one who is exalted and glorified and honored and praised and bowed to and revered and obeyed in this place, that he is the head of our church. How about this? Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave him for it. Jesus Christ loves the church. But then let, let, me, let me hasten to add a very common, commonly known text in Hebrews chapter 10. Where the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. The idea is, we need each other. And sometimes people go away from church because they're discouraged. Sometimes they have misunderstood. Sometimes they've been hurt. Sometimes they... they, they they drifted and they weren't loved and cared for and they just kind of fell through the cracks. There's all kinds of reasons why people get out of church. What God is telling us is as we see the day approaching, as we see the end coming, as we have more of a sense that things are getting worse, that, that it just seems like, like perhaps the Lord will come soon, but certainly it is sooner than it was 10 years ago or 100 years ago or a millennium ago. God says that at that very time, we should exhort one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. I was up here soon after I came this morning, and I, I won't name any, anyone here, but there were two things that happened that I heard today, and they were both positive. I was up here and I heard someone walk in and see someone that they had not seen for a long time. And there was this, this, this emotional, positive affirmation. It is so good to see you. 
Oh, that made this pastor's heart so happy. The men were in the room praying back there. I don't know if any of the other guys would have even heard this or noticed it. But a lady walked in. Same kind of a thing. Walked in. Wow, it is so good to see you. Listen, we need to do that with each other. These are difficult days. These are hard days to live for the Lord. The darkness is profound. And, and, and you can be a help. You can be a blessing. There will be a time where you will need someone to come alongside you like that at a time of heaviness, brokenness, loss, grief, discouragement, health problems, financial problems, whatever it might be. But if that's not you today, then give to someone else. That's what we do. We come together. Don't, don't get legalistic on me and say, well, what that says is you need to. We don't go to church because we have to. We do have to. But we don't go to church because we have to. The motive is we love Jesus and we love each other. And we want to love the church in which God put us. The spirit of Antichrist takes us away from church. Look down at verse 22. It talks about Antichrist. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You know, think about this. The most important question that is ever asked is this. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? When we interview people who are interested in becoming members of Hanover Baptist Church, they, they can give excellent biblical answers about are you saved, how did you get saved. You can give excellent biblical answers but I want them to talk about Jesus Christ. Not just trusting God, although that's how you're saved, you know. But I want to hear about Christ. Why? Because he's the Savior, because he's the one who died, and he's the one who rose from the grave, and we trust him as our personal Savior. The Father didn't die for us. The Holy Spirit did not die for us. There is a person who came to this planet, became the God-man, and we trust him. He is our savior. The person's answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? The wrong answer removes him from any possibility of going to heaven one day. Our Mormon friends, here's a quote. They would say Jesus Christ was a spirit being who attained deity as a result of his work on earth. That is a lie. Jehovah Witnesses will say Jesus Christ is not God. That is a lie. Liberal theologians will say, well, Jesus Christ was a great teacher. He was a hero, a healer. He did different things, but, but he's not God. His miracles didn't happen. He couldn't do that. No one could. Come on, be realistic. This is just hyperbole and exaggeration with an uneducated group of people that bought it. You don't have to be so stupid. Well, I say they're liars. What do you say? Even our Roman Catholic friends will say, Mary was assumed into heaven and she sits on the throne with Christ. No, she doesn't. It's a lie. Hindu friends, Jesus is one of many manifestations of God. It's all lies. It's all antichrist work. Here's what God says. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, in contrast with the Spirit of Antichrist. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. 
John 10 and verse 30 says, I and my Father are one. Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Colossians tells us, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But listen, any teacher, any group, any writer, any author, any church that de-emphasizes Jesus Christ, that, that is the influence of Antichrist. We don't want any part of that here. We want to make much of Christ. Then one more verse in verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. What does it mean to be seduced? Well, you might think of it in moral terms. This is not moral terms. This is talking about theological terms. This is the idea of being attracted away from the truth, attracted toward that which ultimately is darkness. It may not seem like darkness. It might just be fuzzy or cloudy, gray. But it's not the light. To be led astray, to be deceived, to believe a lie. Jesus called Satan the ultimate antichrist, the father of lies. You know this verse, John 8, verse 44? I hope you know it. <laughs> Jesus was talking to religious leaders when he said to those religious leaders, ye are of your father, the devil. He talked about Satan. He said, there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. Those are the kind of things that Jesus said that from a human standpoint got him crucified. Because he told the truth. And the truth really cuts deep. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 11 talks about Satan and how he can deceive Christians, how he can draw us away and get us away from the truth, mix up and trick our minds. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 says, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. But they're not ministers of righteousness. And he is not an angel of light. But he's a, he, he, he tricks us. He beguiles us. Maybe not ultimately, or certainly not ultimately, if, if you're God's child. But he is, he is active. He's seeking to seduce. He's seeking to, to get us distracted from the simplicity of the truth and of the simplicity of, of living for eternity and getting all distracted with, with all kinds of other things that weigh us down and that take our energy and, and destroy our priorities and get us all confused and mixed up and nervous and, and, and upset and misunderstanding. And, and Satan's really good at that and his minions, if you want to use that word. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's how we think. It's our minds. It's what our minds rest on. It's what our minds hold dearest. And for God's children, the joy of our lives, the great advantage we have over others who don't even know him, is we get to remember that God is light. 
him no darkness at all and, and, and sell out to him and yield to him and, and surrender to him and submit to him and seek to cast down every imagination and all the thoughts that are against Christ and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's God's plan. First John chapter 3, verse 7 says, Little children, let no man deceive you. Second John 7 says, Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. It's a deceiver and an antichrist. But there's one more thing I'd like to mention down at the end of the chapter. Would you look there with me? Verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. There's several very quick points in that that are such a blessing. What does the Bible say in verse 8 when it says, Abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence? Jesus is coming back to this planet. He's coming. He's coming back to this earth. They didn't believe it the first time. They don't believe it the second time, but he's coming. And God tells us here, in light of his coming, how to be ready to see him. Notice in verse 28, he says, abide in Christ. The scripture we looked at the other day in prayer meeting, abide in Christ and let the word of Christ abide in you richly. And we looked at that text and spent some time on it. But this idea of abide is, is just the simple idea of remain. Stay there. The idea is, 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 is the way you think right now as God's children. The way you think, we think when we're in God's word and when we're in prayer. When we're saturated, we trust, with, with the things of God. Stay there. Just stay right there. Just, just stay right there. Anchored. Remaining. Abiding. Come back home to Jesus is the idea. Stay there. Have confidence, verse 28. Don't be ashamed of him. Uh, verse 28. And then verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Do right. Do what's right. Just, just do what's right. We get, we get all confused with all these different opinions and all these different voices. Just, just, just go back to the simplicity that is in Christ and recognize all the confusion. That's not him. That's not God. God is light. Him, there's no darkness. There's no shadows. There's no gray. Crystal clear, pure light. Let's love him. Let's serve him.